Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. And so we come to the end of Camp Meeting 2020, traveling alone together. As you know, we've been looking at discipleship. We've been considering the four disciplines that here at Loma Linda University Church we believe are essential for growing disciples. Worship, Bible study and prayer, community, and service. And then last week we noted that that last one, service, actually has two prongs. The first prong is service to others by meeting their needs. The second prong that we consider today is service to God by sharing His Word. Sharing His Word with the world around us. In fact, that act has often been called evangelism. Sometimes it's referred to as sharing your testimony, witnessing to your faith in Jesus, sharing your story. Different words have been used to describe it, but one of the things I've noticed over the years is that no matter what word we use to describe it, there tends to be a negative reaction to it. A reaction that says, what right do I have to share? I don't know enough. I'm not an evangelist. I I don't know what to say. Furthermore, I don't want to foist my beliefs on someone else. And so the reaction to evangelism has often been negative. Well, there are certainly examples of that, and examples in Christian history are prolific of abuses of evangelism. Maybe that's why I was caught by the story told by Eugene Peterson. You may remember the story. Peterson tells the story of when he was a kid growing up, there was a bully who made his life very hard. Garrison Johns made Peterson's life difficult. Peterson's mom tried to encourage him by saying, as a Christian, count that as a blessing. Maybe God is helping you to grow. Well, I want to read to you Peterson's description of what happened. I loved going to school, said Peterson, learning so much, finding new friends, adoring my teacher. The classroom was a wonderful place. But soon after the dismissal bell each day, I had to face Garrison Johns and get the daily beating that I was trying to my best to assimilate as my blessing. March came. I remember that it was March by the weather. The winter snow was melting, but there were still patches of it here and there. The days were getting longer. I was no longer walking home in the late afternoon dark. And then one day something unexpected happened. I was with my neighborhood friends on this day, seven or eight of them, when Garrison caught up with us and started in on me, jabbing, taunting, working himself up to the main event. He had an audience, and that provided extra incentive. He always did better with an audience. That's when it happened. Something snapped in me, totally uncalculated, totally out of character. For just a moment, the Bible verses disappeared from my consciousness, and I grabbed Garrison. To my surprise and his, I realized I was stronger than he was. I wrestled him to the ground, sat on his chest, and pinned his arms to the ground with my knees. I couldn't believe it. 
He was helpless under me. At my mercy, it was too good to be true. I hit him in the face with my fist. It felt good. I hit him again, blood spurted from his nose, a lovely crimson on the snow. By this time, all the other children were cheering, egging me on. Black his eyes, black his, bust his teeth. A torrent of vengeful invective poured forth from them, although nothing compared with what I would later in my life read in the Psalms. I said to Garrison, say uncle. He wouldn't say it. I hit him again. More blood, more cheering. Now the audience was bringing the best out of me. And then my Christian training reasserted itself. I said, say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. <laughs> and he said it. Peterson wraps up by saying, Garrison Johns was my first Christian convert. <laughs> Is that how you think of evangelism? Pounding it into them? If it is, no wonder we have a negative reaction to the term. But we can't escape the scriptural directive to share, to tell, to witness, or to use the word we're going to use today, to invite. To invite those who are thirsty to come and receive the free gift of the water of life. So for our text today, we're going to go to the last book of Scripture, book of Revelation. We're not only going to go to the last book of Scripture, we're going to go to the last chapter of Scripture. And we're not only going to go to the last chapter of Scripture, we're going to go to a verse, just five verses from the end of the Bible. Revelation 22 and verse 17. Here's what it says. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let those who hear say, come. Let those who are thirsty, come. And let all who wish take the free gift of the water of life. You don't have to peruse very many pages of very many commentaries, Bible commentaries, to discover that scholars approach this one text in two different ways. There are two ways of understanding it. So I guess my question this morning, today, is which way is correct? So the first way of understanding this passage is that it is an invitation that originates in the heart of Jesus and has spoken through different agents of His, the Spirit, the Bride, those who hear, is spoken as an invitation to anyone who is thirsty in the world to come and to take a drink of the gift of the water of life freely. That's the first way to understand it. So what does that mean? Well, let's think about the passage. Remember the first line that says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. So we begin with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, that Spirit whose work it is to magnify Jesus, that Spirit whose duty it is to convict the world, to draw the world, to woo the world to the feet of Jesus. 
That spirit whose task it is to draw in us so deeply a need and a desire for the water of life that when we respond, we are responding to the inspiration and to the gift and to the invitation of the Holy Spirit. Anyone who is reading this words as an act of devotion has responded to that spirit. That's something that's underlined by Ellen White in her book, Desire of Ages. It comes in the chapter on Nicodemus. When Jesus and Nicodemus are having that conversation, that conversation where Jesus refers to this spirit, I want you to listen to how Ellen White pictures what happens with conversion. Hear are her words. The wind is heard among the branches of the trees, rustling the leaves and flowers, yet it is invisible, and no one knows whence it comes or whither it goes. So it is with the work of the Holy Spirit upon the heart. It can no more be explained than can the movements of the wind. A person may not be able to tell the exact time or place or trace all the circumstances in the process of conversion, but this does not prove them to be unconverted. By an agency as unseen as the wind, Christ is constantly working upon the heart. Little by little, perhaps unconsciously to the receiver, impressions are made that tend to draw the soul to Christ. These may be received through meditating upon Him, through reading the Scriptures, or through hearing the Word from the living preacher. Suddenly, as the Spirit comes with more direct appeal, the soul gladly surrenders itself to Jesus. By many, this is called sudden conversion, but it is the result of long wooing by the Spirit of God, a patient protracted process. So for any of us who sees that conversion, what John Stott calls that moral miracle of a transformed life, even if it seems sudden, understand that's a long protracted process of the Spirit working on the heart. The Spirit issuing that invitation, come, take the free gift of the water of life. The Spirit. But remember that first line. The Spirit and the bride say, come. The bride in the book of Revelation is very clear. Revelation 19, it's the people of God. It's the people of God, what other places in the New Testament is called the ecclesia, the church, the called out ones. What other places in Revelation are referred to as those who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. The people of God, the church. In other words, not only is the Spirit extending the invitation to come, but the church is extending the invitation to come. This is getting closer to us now except that it's not yet us individually. It is us as a corporate body. It's the influence that the church exerts in its community with its neighbors. And that's where I start to get uncomfortable. Because we're probably all, I know I am, keenly aware of our deficits, of our failures. Keenly aware of those 
keenly aware of the times when we have misrepresented Jesus, calls to, the mind, to mind the words of, who was it? Was it the writer Dorothy Sayers? Was she the one who said God has three great humiliations? First is the incarnation when God became flesh. Second was the crucifixion when God subjected God's self to death. And third, said Sayers, the church. The church is God's great third humiliation, being actually represented in the world by people like me. It's sobering, isn't it? For how many times I have personally, or maybe we have corporately, misrepresented the name of God. The church, as a corporate body, exudes a certain influence. Is that influence an invitation? Come, take the free gift of the water of life? This past week, my wife told me of an incident. She had gone to a restaurant in our local area to buy a meal for a family in our community in need. We frequent this particular restaurant, and so we know the hostess quite well. She told Anita what had happened. It's actually happened on a couple of occasions, but it had apparently just happened. She said, I had a group come to the restaurant. Everybody's eating outside nowadays, so the servers run back and forth from inside where it's cooled, outside where it's been blisteringly hot, back and forth, back and forth, caring for the needs of the patrons. And they had done a good job with this party. We know that because the hostess said, I asked them specifically, and they said, everything was fine. The bill, I don't remember the exact amount, $78 and change, $78.30 maybe. And the party, upon signing the receipt, rounded up to $80, leaving $1.70 of tip on an almost $80 bill. Can you imagine? I'll have to tell you, when I hear stories like that, one of the thoughts that flits through my mind is, I sure hope those weren't part of the Loma Linda University Church community. Because when you've left $1.70 or whatever it was, tip, on an almost $80 bill, it's really hard to extend the invitation on behalf of the church, come, take the free gift of the water of life. Now, I understand we are exceedingly imperfect. I am keenly aware of that in my own life and experience. And I depend on the grace of God to somehow take my flaws and faults and change me so as to use me to extend His invitation. But the church does it somehow. Is it the invitation that Christ wants? The text says, the Spirit and the bride say, come. Then the next line says, let those who hear say come. Now we're getting right down to the personal level, right down to you and to me, the ones who have heard, who have heard the call of the Spirit, the invitation of Jesus. We've sensed the Spirit in our hearts and lives pointing us to a hill far away where stands an old rugged cross. 
and we've had our lives changed, transformed. We're in the maturing process. Now the text speaks to us. And it says that we now personally, not as a corporate body any longer, but personally, we are to extend the invitation. And it's right about there. I can almost hear it from where you sit that we start saying, wait, 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 I'm not an evangelist. I don't know what to say. I don't know enough. Don't look to me. I can't do this. And then I think maybe sometimes we just make it too complicated. Because here in our text in Revelation, all we're doing is extending an invitation. Come. There's a gift, the water of life. Take of it freely. Calls to mind the statement I read happened years ago. An elevator operator in the days when they had them, elevator operator at a hospital in Nashville, when asked about his Christian witness to those who entered the elevator doors, he said this. He said, I'm just a nobody telling everybody about somebody who can save anybody. That's about as simple as you can get. Kind of reminded me of an email I received years ago, and I do mean years ago, October 13 of 2003. I saved it. Came from one of our church members named Tim Rawson. At the time he was a church member, now he's our church business administrator. It was in the fall of the year, and Tim sent me an email that said, a coworker asked another coworker to describe what it means to be a witness for Christ. And in harmony with the fall season of the year, the coworker responded this way, well, it's like being a pumpkin. God picks you out of the patch, brings you in, washes the dirt off of you, cuts off the top, and then cleans out all the yucky stuff inside. You know, the greed and the hate and the bigotry and the violence, the lust, all those things, cleans them all out, gently carves a smile into the face of the pumpkin, and then sets a light, a candle inside, so that His light can shine forth from your life. That's it, Tim. That's what we are to do, to allow the light of Jesus to shine from our lives. That's the invitation. Calls to mind the words of, of the old Scottish scholar William Barclay, who uses the biblical term saint, which when most of us hear it, we say, that's not me, but it is you. According to Scripture, Barclay says a saint is someone whose life makes it easier to believe in God. That's a saint. And so that's the line that says, let those who hear say, come. New Testament scholar Kendall Easley draws some of these elements together by reminding us of the interplay between some of the key players in this text by saying, without the bride's witness, the Spirit is voiceless. Without the Spirit's witness, the bride is powerless. Thus together, these two join in urging the world to come to salvation in Christ. Whether it's the bride corporately or those who hear individually, we must have the Spirit's power to do it. But then the Spirit needs our voice to speak it.
inviting. So that's the first way the passage is understood. As an invitation that originates in the heart of Jesus, but comes out through different of his agents, as an invitation to the thirsty world, come and take the free gift of the water of life. But there's a second way to understand it. And if we are to get it this way, we have to back up just a few verses and read together a number of different verses, starting with verse 12 in the chapter. We go back, Revelation 22, this time we start in verse 12. Look, I am coming soon, my reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let those who hear say, come. Let those who are thirsty come. Let all who wish take the free gift of the water of life. Now you notice something if you happen to have opened your Bible to a red letter edition Bible to read those verses. You notice that verses 12 to 16 are in red ink, symbolizing that they're the words of Jesus. I am coming quickly. I am Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, etc. Jesus is speaking. But then in verse 17, it switches to black ink. Somebody else now is speaking. In the first way of understanding the passage, the ones who are now speaking are his agents extending an invitation to the world. But in the second way of understanding this verse, it is those same agents, the Spirit, the bride, and those who hear, speaking not for Jesus, but to Jesus. The Jesus who said in verse 12, I am coming quickly. The Jesus who said in verse 13, I am Alpha and Omega, beginning in and first and last. The Jesus who said in verse 14, these are those who will be outside and those who will be inside of the kingdom of God. In other words, the Jesus whose thoughts now turn specifically to the second coming. So that in this understanding, when we get to verse 17, the Spirit, the Bride, and those who hear are not extending an invitation to the world first. They are speaking to Jesus, the Spirit. That Spirit who hovers over the chaos of the world, wooing hearts to come to God to accept his invitation to take the water of life freely. Watches as a deeper and more distinct line of demarcation develops between those who follow the lamb and those who worship the beast. Sees more and more coming to a final decision. And the spirit turns to Jesus and says, Come, Jesus. It's time. The church, the church who has sponsored one too many funerals, 
The church who has mourned with those who mourned and wept with those who wept. The church who has comforted people by pointing to the advent yet to come. Now whispers, come Jesus. Please come. The church who seeks to serve the world around her, to meet the needs of the hungry, to address the needs of the lonely, to stand beside the prisoner. The church who does so only to lift her eyes and realize that for every need they have met, there's another one, 10 more, 100 more, 10,000 more needs that they will never be able to meet. And upon realizing her utter inadequacy in the sea of human need, says, come, Jesus, please come. And the ones who hear, you, me, the ones who staggering down the road of life, burdened by guilt, overwhelmed by worry, filled with the dread and the anxiety of what is to come on the planet, suddenly hear that familiar voice say, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And we've responded because we heard the invitation. And then we discover that that invitation to rest is not just an invitation for rest to our souls in the here and now but it is an invitation to eternal rest from sin and strife and evil and racism and bigotry and hatred and all the other sins that plague the planet. That there will come a day when all that will be gone. And then you and me we collapse to our knees and we say, come, Jesus, please come. For we have taken your gift of the water of life. We have imbibed. It has slaked our thirst for now, but it will satiate our thirst forever. So please, Jesus, we're tired. Please come. That's the second way to understand the verse. So which is it? I could show you commentaries, point you to them. Here are the commentaries who line up with the first option. Here are the commentaries who line up with the second option. Which is it? Is that text, the Spirit and the Bride say, come? Let those who hear say, come. Let whosoever's thirsty come and drink freely of the water of life. Is that the invitation of Jesus to any thirsty soul on the planet? Or is that a prayer to Jesus? from every thirsty soul on the planet. Is it the first? Is it the second?
from having spent some time with this book, from having spent some time with Revelation, I think I may know the answer to that question. Is it the first or is it the second? I think the answer is yes. It's both. It is the invitation that comes from the heart of Jesus through lives and lips like yours and mine, empowered by the Spirit, spoken to every thirsty soul, just inviting them, come and drink. And it is the prayer, the prayer of that Spirit who intercedes without words, with groans for us. It is the prayer of the Bride of Christ. It is the prayer of your heart and mine. Come, Jesus. Come. Come and take us home. Amen.